Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Alan Watt here. I'm standing in for, uh, filling in for uh, Darren, who is uh, busy tonight. And uh, tomorrow night, Jackie and I will be uh, doing a show together, and then probably Wednesday as well. Uh, I, I got this at short notice, so I have nothing prepared to talk about. However, um, uh, this morning I got up, and the sky was full of these amazing, uh, the, the new super um, latest version of the chemtrails uh, across the sky uh, coming in from the west, really, using the winds, the westerly winds, to, to bring it across the country. And uh, <laughs> and these were, were amazing uh, new types of, of very artistic trails that were, that were laying down, uh, brand new types of polymers which um, have little fluffy tails on the ends of them, as though someone had combed a cloud and uh, and ended a little tuft at the end, so they're all very uniform, these little twists, these little tails on the end of them. So uh, it's quite a spectacle to, to pan the sky and, and uh, take all of this panorama of, of chemtrails in. Such an amazing project uh, on such a a huge scale and and yet to realize that that maybe you're the only person in a hundred miles that actually knows what's going on maybe even further that's even uh, more amazing um, uh, today I talked to someone who was photographing these these clouds in the nearest town and uh, she didn't know of course uh, that these were fake clouds and so I, I filled her in and what I could tell her in, in about half an hour without overburdening her with, with the truth uh, or the history of all of this. Um, but maybe, uh, just maybe, I got someone else to, to think about what they're actually looking at. But she did comment that they, they look so pretty. And my, my sort of reaction to that was, well, they do look so pretty because they're so uniform the ends of them are so uniform with these lovely little twists on these little curls which don't occur in nature and yet people who haven't been observing the sky uh, over the years as they grew up and lived uh, have no memory of, of what natural clouds look like uh, those who are being brought up today uh, won't know they'll think this is all quite natural and quite a few years ago I said that uh, one day we'll, we'll see these clouds uh, glow in different colors. I've already seen it last year in the summer uh, where, where you see rainbow uh, ripples going through some of them. Uh, but I think that the old Beatles song said uh, uh, marmalade skies in one of their songs. Uh, we'll certainly see the marmalade skies and maybe uh, different colors or, or shades of strawberry to put in there for effect. I, I think it's so far advanced now uh, that they could pretty well do anything and the public would think it was all quite natural and that's the beauty when, when the parents don't know to tell their children that's the beauty for the elite uh, who, who rely upon this mammalian indoctrination uh, knowing that if you can indoctrinate one generation they, they can't warn their, their offspring of the dangers that are around them or what's even natural anymore. This is the 27th of March, by the way, uh, 2006, uh, for those who still have some kind of memory to go by. <laughs> and I had to look at my watch to make sure myself. So uh, so, so I, I was going to talk about these, these trails. And to say, I had nothing set up to talk about, really. Uh, but uh, I, I don't want to go off into the news because I don't like following the news. To me, the news is, is basically irrelevant as to what uh, puppet uh, is put in front of the public to declare this law or that law or whatever. They're just the, the puppet men. Um, if those who have studied the whole agenda or as much of it as is available to the public are well aware that uh, the front men we see uh, could, could be interchanged with other faces tomorrow and the same agenda steamrolls on. So I don't get caught up um, hitting the firewalls that they put up there for us to hit 
and that's the politicians, the front men, who are well chosen long before the public even know their names or, or the supposed party they supposedly represent. They're irrelevant to the agenda, really. It's only important that the public believe it's all real, um, and, and that way they don't question beyond politics. And of course, all of this is designed by uh, people, at least, uh, if I can't use the word people, uh, which are definitely beyond politics. Uh, the, global, the global government uh, has been here for a long time. Uh, at the moment, it's primarily invisible to the public, which makes sense. You would never put your real leaders into the public uh, view in case anything happened to them. You'd always put your front men there to take the heat and any real accidents that could happen, well, you can replace them quite easily. They're just puppets. But you'd never put your real people in front of the public. Uh, we know some of the higher players, certainly. We know the Rockefellers have been involved in this agenda for a hundred odd years at least. Beginning with old Nelson Rockefeller, who was set up to be uh, the controller mainly of power and energy in the United States. And I say he, he did not work himself up to it. These guys never did. They always put um, their own men in charge of, of uh, anything to do with power and economics. Uh, you couldn't work your way up in their system unless they allow you to come up. They open the door for you to come up, and, and you must serve them. Old Nelson Rockefeller uh, basically did what he was supposed to do. He hired the thugs that set fire to um, independent oil rigs. It burned them out of existence. All the competition was basically killed off or burned out. And he came up with standard oil at the end. But he was backed by bigger guys behind him and authorized to do this. He was the guy who also turned the militia loose on uh, the miners that were employed by him who were on strike. And they shot lots of them. Then they thought, well, how can we make this man Rockefeller, this penny pincher, into a, a, so a hero for the people? How can we change his image? And so what they did was um, they hired two men to create a new public image after he'd, he was blamed for the massacring of all these, these miners and their wives who were living in tents. And the militias went in and machine gunned them. And uh, so they hired a guy called Gates, who was a PR specialist and public relations. And of course, I'm sure it's a, an ancestor of Bill Gates, the gatekeeper uh, for, for, for Microsoft and so on. And also another guy who became uh, the Prime Minister of Canada. That was his reward for creating the new uh, public image of the benefactor Rothschild, uh, Rockefeller. And uh, he was put in as, as Prime Minister of Canada for the Second World War. That was his payoff. Um, so this is how the club works, you see. Uh, you scratch my back in high masonry, and I scratch your back. Uh, and the public can never have a clue what's really going on because the media is there to make sure that they don't. It's all public relations, building images, very much like show business. Uh, in fact, it's the same crowd who create the images in show business and give us the superstars to follow who, who do the managing of these guys and create their public images uh, for us to swallow. Uh, recently, uh, Mr. Harper, the new Prime Minister of Canada, uh, who was picked by the Bilderbergers and attended their meetings before he was supposedly elected, um, gave a speech in Afghanistan to the Canadian troops. And in the speech, he, uh, he, he, he made some unusual statements that were sort of un-Canadian. They were almost Hollywoodish. And uh, the first statement he made was, uh, and this was on a comedy show on Canada. They, they showed you this. They showed you a clip of Mr. Harper saying, we won't cut and run to the troops. And then they went back to the, the host of the show, and he says, isn't it strange Mr. Bush said this? And then they showed Mr. Bush. Uh, a couple of days beforehand giving the same speech with the same term in it, cut and run. We won't cut and run, he says. And then this host went back and forth between the two, Mr. Harper and Mr. Bush. 
uh, showing you four other things they said in the same speeches which were identical and uh, of course they're identical because they were both used in the same script writer and this is repetition it's a form of almost psychic driving as they call it in Tavistock uh, terminology the Tavistock Institute which came up with all this behavioralism and behavior studies uh, in society where they found that something had to be repeated at least eight times to the public before the public starts to parrot the, those phrases or terms themselves and, and that's what they do that's why during the, the build-up to the Iraq war um, Condoleezza Rice and Rumsfeld and Powell and all the rest of this little menagerie uh, would, would appear in front of the public and they would say uh, weapons of mass destruction over and over until we're sick of it you see? they were making sure that the public during their own conversations with each other uh, would start using the same terms in which they did but they've got to be repeated eight times before the public could pick up on it and start doing it automatically well of course Mr. Bush and Mr. Harper uh, <clears throat> are, are the same script writers and they must be on, uh, on board you see and uh, on track with each other uh, and the same path so they use the same script writers to make sure that the Canadians and Americans um, who are now basically joined more than, than just at the hip uh, since last March when they signed the United America's agreement uh, March the 27th I think it was besides this is the anniversary of it um, they're making sure that they're given the same speeches because we will all be one big uh, amalgamated Americas that's where it's all heading uh, this agenda is very old you'll find it in the writings of Karl Marx uh, and Das Kapital where he talked about the United Europe which would be first for a trading bloc followed by a Pacific Rim conglomerate um, the head of which at that time hadn't been picked and followed then by a United Americas uh, each one with a form of local government which so now which your national government becomes a local government under the head of a world government which is of course the United Nations so <clears throat> a long time ago the Brotherhood was well aware of where they were taking the world um, why they were taking them this way and we can go back even further to the writings of John Dee and Francis Bacon and Queen Elizabeth I's uh, court and this was the period when the Rosicrucians uh, first appeared on the scene uh, with their manifestos this word manifesto and they claimed that through science they would overcome all the problems uh, that the elite were facing they didn't care about the ordinary people they, they never had a they never identified with ordinary people in fact they had no problem differentiating themselves from ordinary people in less polite terms than they use today so they wanted a world 500 odd years ago that would be run by an intelligentsia uh, a scientific community of experts uh, who would serve the guardian class the, the, the dominant minority as Charles Galton Darwin called them and Huxley called them Aldo Huxley of Brave New World uh, so they they basically parroted an even older agenda going all the way back to the days of Plato where he wrote the Republic, the perfect society, the utopia and he, he, he talked about the guardian class as well who would technically be in charge of the whole system worldwide helped by uh, a, a type of, of specially bred lower class inbred, specially bred, selective breeding in other words to create specific human types to serve them uh, small squat guys uh, for mining and tall guys for picking apples off trees and, and, and he, had, he had it all planned down through basically selective breeding where the guardians would choose the mates uh, for, for men and women um, for their genotypes basically 
and specially breed them for a purpose. Uh, they've never lost sight of this goal. It's ancient. Ancient. And so it resurfaced in the times of John Dee. And uh, he talked about the creation of a British Empire to Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, the empire itself, although it was called British, uh, could be called anything. In other words, they could move their headquarters from one country to another. But it was to be based on a form of what they called free trade. And those countries, which would be part of a worldwide commonwealth, and it's an interesting term, remember, commonwealth. It really means the wealth of the commoners. <laughs> because uh, they certainly wouldn't benefit from it. It was to serve the elite. They did not believe in, in uh, independent trading, but they ha had this idea of free trade. So those countries and those big corporations, which existed, by the way, in the 1500s, uh, the, the, the British East India Company was formed at that time. Huge corporation. Uh, with the members being of, of the elite and nobility being the, the, the sole members of, of, um, in partnership with each other and shareholders. So free trade to them was basically the setting up of a same governmental system which was, would eventually be worldwide with authorized corporations who would be allowed to trade between those countries with no impediment uh, to trade or their trade uh, no tax barriers anyone who would, didn't join them uh, would, would definitely face uh, taxation on import duties and exports and so on they'd be penalized and shunned in fact they wouldn't be allowed certain goods in they'd be kept uh, um, out of the loop and suffer from it so they'd be forced to, to, to ultimately join and that, but it meant also adopting the same political system the same rulership system really is what it is it's a, a form of rulership and, and they use the term democracy uh, a term which has never had a fixed meaning in the last few hundred years uh, and every 20 years or so it takes on a new twist uh, supposedly it was based on the British government uh, but, and people forget that only the landowners and nobility at one time could vote up until really uh, the late 1800s and and most most men and women not just the women but most men who owned no property or who rented didn't get the vote to the first world war so so hundreds of years before that they were still calling that democracy when the nobility alone uh, could vote it was never meant for the ordinary people, the commoners or serfs. Today, they've given us the illusion that what we vote for matters. In that way, they found that when things get terribly bad after four or five years, the people don't revolt. They simply vote the last lot of corrupt guys out, thinking they can get better ones in. And uh, politicians are fantastically good for doing exactly that they, 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 they work on promises and they voice the people's concerns when they're running for elections they'll mention the corruption of the present government or supposed leadership and the scandals they've been through and as long as they promise to acknowledge this uh, that they also see this and if they get in power well my god they're going to give you utopia and clean things up then the public don't revolt they simply elect the next new bunch in that, that gives them the promises and give them four or five years and then vote them out when they're just as bad as the last bunch that's the, re the real meaning of, of democracy it's a sham for the public to keep them in hope that four years down the road you can change this bunch for a new bunch that's the hope of, of democracy but if anyone who studied this agenda <clears throat> with the secret societies, and yes, there are secret societies, or societies with secrets, as the Masons call themselves. Um, the Masons, even the lowly Masons, are told that there's two types, you know, that those who are enlightened or illumined, and all Masons, even up to the third degree, become illumined when they see the light. You see, that's for the light, and the blindfold's taken off, and 
and then they're lifted up by the Grand Master with the, the proper grip and they're now announced to their brothers, their fellow brothers, their brethren who are also illumined uh, and the other class of those who have never been through this, these silly rituals are called the profane which means base or those in the darkness uh, the elite call them the commoners the common public who are useful and this is called the natural order of things uh, Albert Pike who was basically the Pope of Freemasonry in the, the 1880s and who wrote his Morals and Dogma book I say his book because anyone who's read it and who's, who can understand, who's read a lot of books can tell when there's different hands and different chapters different penmanships and Albert Pike's is no different there were teams of people who put that together and too many specialist areas from, from the reading of Hebrew and the Kabbalah and so on to ancient Greek and Middle Greek and etc. Psychology um, <clears throat> uh, mythologies uh, the religions of India that took teams of people to put together and all the heroes they gave people today are, are no different uh, they have teams working for them <clears throat> they appear like supermen to the general public because Joe Average says Geez, I couldn't do all that by myself and you're darn right you couldn't no one could do it all by themselves and that's how the technique works because the public are un unwilling uh, to, to follow an ordinary person who is talking reason uh, because he's really not famous you see the public want to worship someone on two legs who dresses better than they do <clears throat> and lives in a better standard of living than they do and that's why we're taught to worship millionaires and that's why we won't listen to reason um, there was a book written many years ago on logic and I think the title of the book was called Straight and Crooked Thinking and it was a textbook really for logic and reason and this went through this whole system of how, how the public are taught to reason or not taught to reason but to follow experts uh, and people of wealth and one of the examples was to do with Hyde Park in London where orators, any orator, you can be an orator yourself even if you're a tramp a tramp is a vagabond in old English <clears throat> it's a new meaning today in North America but uh, a vagabond uh, could take a soapbox and stand up in Hyde Park and draw a little crowd and, and spout off what he thought of life, you see. And the public still go there today and watch this kind of thing going on and they have a good laugh and a chuckle and throw insults at the, the person who is nobody. Um, even though he can be speaking absolute truth, penetrating truth. Uh, however, if someone is, is built up by the media to appear in, in some big uh, club or, or theatre in London uh, with a few letters behind his name and walks on the stage with his duck suit and his bow tie the public can hear the same kind of stuff uh, and suddenly it's very important what this person says um, and yet it could be the same tramp dressed up the perceptions change because we're trained in a specific way from birth to worship what we call success and those who run the world uh, are never short of giving us people who they claim are successful and whatever they speak we follow uh, it was interesting that Carl Jung who was a psychiatrist who was way ahead of Freud in fact Freud was never uh, an actually um, he had no degree in psychiatry he simply had the media to build him up into the superman because his job was also to change society's way of looking at things and to, to base everything on sex uh, uh, but Carl Jung who was far more intelligent um, talked about this, this phenomena of, of training the public to believe in experts and people should really look into some of Carl Jung's books knowing, remember, that he also was a very high mason uh, very high mason, his dad was the head of the Rosicrucian Lodge for Switzerland so Carl Jung had, had grown up in a milieu where nothing was forbidden to speak about all topics were open for discussion um, whereas the people below them uh, who were st 
steeped in religion and, and, and taboos uh, would avoid certain topics because it wasn't genteel enough it was impolite or it was simply against God so for an understanding of human logic uh, Carl Jung's the one to understand uh, for a study on someone who put his God who used to be above him above his head down to his lower head you study uh, Freud because that's where he basically he did he transferred it from above his head to his lower head and everything evolved around uh, sex then uh, it, it destroyed Freud's job was to destroy human emotion and human attachments to people and base everything on purely hormonal responses um, he, he, he helped to, to create the, the beginnings of the culture for what he called free love a movement which had started in the 1880s uh, onwards with people like H.G. Uh, Wells the author for more on that read some of H.G. Wells non-fiction books since Wells was a founder of the Fabian Society and they said they had to convince the public that free love was natural promiscuity was natural because they had to destroy the family unit which was the only thing stopping the elite from totally dominating the individual to get to the individual they had to get through the whole family and a small family is like a tribe they'll stick together they'll stand up for each other so the family had to be destroyed and the only way to do it was to, to start for pushing this free love as they called it this took off in the 1920s uh, <clears throat> with the Roaring Twenties when they brought in Prohibition they, they, they put the, the Bronfmans into Canada from Russia I was talking about the Bronfmans being brought into Canada in the 1880s in preparation for the role they would have to play in setting up the, uh, the booze industry really because they had all planned out that they'd get prohibition ago Pro prohibition created more alcoholics than, than, than had existed before that because more people, more youngsters went into this naughty thing of, of, of booze cans and um, the, it made it a very exciting place to go it was very bad and naughty and, and the police would snoop around and they could uh, pay for their high priced drinks and have the music there, the jazz that was sweeping the country, which is all time to come in at the same time, of course. For more on the jazz scene, uh, look, out, look, look up the, the history of music and, and psychological warfare. You'll find that, that Lenin actually put out a team to kidnap a, a Jewish guy in New York who was trying to find ways of altering people's moods through types of music and he was he was creating this new type of jazz and he was kidnapped by some Russians and brought over to the Soviet Union and they did use jazz throughout Europe except for Britain it didn't take off there but just all find the jazz houses in Denmark and Germany etc uh, all remnants of this movement to create discordancy etc uh, nihilistic type music um, so the Brothens uh, an official history anyway by the Bronfmans themselves um, states that they were just poor farmers who didn't do any farming and uh, when prohibition came along lo and behold they just knew what to do uh, these little dirt farmers could uh, they hired a, they actually bought a liner a sailing ship which could take booze from Canada to Cuba bypass all the laws and get into the states plus they smuggled lots across the border into the states and uh, how they did it was they made a pact with Seagram's uh, whiskey off Scotland they got they imported the barrels they sold the stuff in Canada they uh, then leached the whiskey out of the barrels the wooden barrels themselves by adding battery fluid sulfuric acid which they then mixed up with their own uh, brew and sold that as high quality booze and that was the beginning of, of the big uh, Brockman's uh, Seagram empire all made through, through the, the times of prohibition by selling illegal booze and running it across the border into the states 
tremendous organization. And of course, the guys on the other side, including the Kennedy family, that's how they rose to prominence uh, by taking part in this big brotherhood chain uh, of illicit booze cans. Uh, big money. They also smuggled drugs as well, of course. And it's also strange that the Brotman's name in Yiddish means whiskey man. I guess that tells you their, their true destiny. Um, there's a good book by Peter Newman called The Bronfman's. Uh, a very good history on this. Uh, Peter Newman tells you at the beginning that he was the second authorized biographer to write uh, about the Bronfman's, authorized by the Bronfman family themselves. And he's careful to tell you in the first chapter that the first guy who was authorized just happened to fall out of uh, about the 50th floor of a tall building when he, he was going through the records of the Bronfman's. So when he, he was telling you beforehand, there's a lot more to this, but he couldn't very well tell you. <laughs> so that's the, the reality of the world we live in. These things are done on huge scales, huge scales backed by big, big, big money uh, in order to, to change culture in a certain direction and to build certain people up that, into mass fortunes, which then are used under the guise of philanthropy, big Big, a very important word, philanthropy. Uh, then they would, they would fund certain NGO groups to push forward agendas which politicians would, would go for and sign into law. Uh, that's the big thing behind charity works and philanthropy. And again, for more on that, read Albert Pike, the Pope of Freemasonry, Morals and Dogma, where he said that we shall become masters over the masters of the world by gaining all the money and using philanthropy, you see. So this is, this is how the world is run. There are no grassroots movements that exist long uh, who are authorized because they can't get funding. The ones who make major changes in your life by pretending to speak for the people, the animals, the trees or the grass or anything else, uh, those are the guys who are funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, as is most, are most universities in America and Canada. They get grants from the Rockefeller Foundation, along with certain topics they will forbid to be spoken about or taught. And that's how the world is really, really run. Money runs the world. And those who run the money make the decisions. And the masters behind them do all the planning for it through think tanks and simply pass it on down to the guys at the bottom. That's the real world we live in. As they were doing the Roaring Twenties in Europe, in America, uh, and creating the massive depression, of course, same same banking boys, same same scams. Uh, they turned countries like Germany into sin cities, you know, like like Berlin. And the CBC did a, a three-part documentary series, I think a four-part actually, on sin cities, and you can find them in the CBC archives.ca. Uh, very worth watching if you can get them downloaded or transcripts of them and they show you footage of uh, a devastated Germany after World War One, where women were selling themselves for, for peanuts to live and they had huge halls where these uh, producers and, and Germany was the really the top country for movie making at that time run by these particular producers who eventually fled to Hollywood when Hitler came in. But you'll see these incredible dancing girls doing all the same dances you eventually saw in the 30s and 40s from Hollywood. They call them hoofers, these girls. That's how much esteem they held them in. Um, and the only difference is in Germany, they were stark naked. There was no shame when you're hungry, you see. And every pervert in the world was traveling over there to, to indulge their fantasies in these countries which had been shattered by the depression and morality was being sold uh, for peanuts and food and of course the, these producers brought these same dancing girls with their formations of dancing like flowers and they all come in unison like sea and enemies and they simply put a, a skimpy uniform on the ones in Hollywood and, and duplicated it there because free love was to be promoted, which it was. But the fallouts prior to the 1960s 
was tremendous because they didn't have the birth pill. The orphanages couldn't keep up with them. They didn't have the, the well-organized and funded abortion clinics to take care of all the wanted side effects of free love. And so they went back to the drawing board uh, during the 40s and 50s and gave us lots of cowboy shows and cowboy movies where nothing much happened that was non-political. And the scare of the McCarthy era had to be still running in the Hollywood producers who were in hand in glove with the same guys in the Soviet Union. Uh, and so they, they turned out dozens and dozens and dozens of boring cowboy movies where nothing much happened, you know. But then the 60s came along, and bang, out came pop music, and out came new fashions with miniskirts, just sort of overnight. Uh, out came the strange drug called LSD, which was being thrown by garbage bags full over every university's wall, uh, uh, all over Europe and some parts of America. And, uh, and free love, of course, has been promoted once again, but now they had abortion clinics, they had the pill, uh, they, they had uh, everything working for them this time. They had government-sponsored psychiatric clinics to take care of all the burned-out LSD heads who ended up with permanent psychosis, many of them. Uh, and so the agenda went ahead with much, much more success because the intent, going back to H.G. Wells and Free Love of the 1880s, was to destroy the family. Morris Strong, who works for the Rockefellers and works for the United Nations, and who in his 70s runs all over the, the planet doing his, uh, his master's work, um, with tremendous energy, of course, because he's given a superior uh, form of health care than level one reality will ever see. Uh, Maurice Strong uh, uh, said at the Air Summit meeting which he hosted and all he did was reiterate the, 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 the agenda that one of the other Rockefellers had drawn up for him. But he said at that meeting that um, the last bastion against um, the state being supreme over the, the public was almost totally destroyed and that was the family and those remnants, the Stillies, existed as family we come under tremendous attack now to totally obliterate it. In the last few years, since we've come into the age of Aquarius, and knowing what Aquarius means, I've explained this on uh, uh, IonTheFutureRadio.com. You can check that out. I'll be on there tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I've explained on there and on Jackie's show last week what Aquarius really stood for. It's, the, it's the, the Ganymede story of Greece. Ganymede was raped by Zeus after falling into the sea, the most beautiful, handsomest guy in the whole of the Grecian islands. And so he was buggered by the big boy himself, you see, uh, which tells you that that was the era where the new man would come forward, the, 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 basically the new type of man, you might say, uh, and, and on road to creating another type to come. Not only do you see the new man, you see the new woman, and I'm sure you'll see them walking around in your own neighborhoods with little Elvis Presley haircuts and the big arms and boots. So this is the new man and woman for the age of Aquarius because the old type, the male and female, must go. And so the family unit is gone. Once that's gone, you have no normality to compare anything to. Culture get, becomes flux and fluid. And when that happens, anything can be run through, any changes can be made, and there's nothing to compare it to, so you, you, go, ahead, you go along with it. And eventually they bring forth a new type, a hermaphroditic creature, which we self-reproducing, probably when injected uh, by scientists at a certain age, it can produce its own offspring, and, and may even have its reward for serving the elite by, by being able to clone itself or reproduces an exact duplicate of itself the, the true Ganymede uh, Aquarius type you'll find that the Jesus story uh, incorporated into the New Testament the, 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 the seeking out of the cult that Jesus was supposed to ride into the city and so he tells two of these guys to go and into town and find a man with a pitcher of water 
And that's him telling you that his triumphal reign would last until the age of Aquarius, because that's Aquarius he's describing, the man with a pitcher of water. They give you the clues of the agenda, because this agenda is thousands of years old. In Judaism, the rabbis say it, it came around four and a half thousand BC. That's when the plan for the great work was born. And the Masonic temples, if you check the dates of construction, because they always put the date where the foundations were laid uh, on the, in the temple outside, there's two dates. There's the one for our era where it was constructed, and there's the one uh, as AL, uh, Anna Luciferos, after Lucifer. That's what it means. So they have the modern date with plus four and a half thousand years. So the Masons have a consensus agreement with, with, uh, with the rabbis that that's when the great plan was born to create a new type of society, a society run by experts. And as the, the illuminist um, Thomas Jefferson said in his own writings, he said that the, it says we, meaning the illumined ones, the Illuminati, he said we are the natural aristocracy, the intelligentsia those who have proven an interest in science they can actually alter things in the world are the natural aristocracy not the natural ultimate nobility but the natural aristocracy going back to Plato they would be the helpers of the guardians here we are today watching the final the, going through the, the, the final phases of the destruction of what was in order to create that which must be. That's the Masonic term, that, that's a phrase they use. Because being Masons who build society, the structures of society, just as, as stone Masons built um, cathedrals, as they were building up the new cathedral, they were dismantling the old. So they removed that which was in order to take for, for that which must come, which must be. And that's what's happening today. We've watched the takedown of society. We've watched the state take over control of children. Uh, as Lord Bertrand Russell, who worked for the British nobility and the Royal Institute of International Affairs said, he said, um, we used to think we'd have to remove the children from their parents in order to totally condition them to serve the state that way they wouldn't have contamination mental contamination by their parents but through experimental schools which he ran he found that if he could get them at the age of two at kindergarten for even three or four hours per day through a special scientific indoctrination then any input that the parents would try to put into the child in the evening would be of no avail and this is very successful so it's, it's more economically feasible too because now they can leave the, the schmuck parents to bring up the, the state's child you might say so, so they're, they're very economic minded they, they believe in efficiency the world that's to come and is in progress right now is to be a world where no one will exist unless there's a function for you in that society there's to be a massive reduction in population. This has been going on through sterilization, through inoculations, from at least the 1950s. Prior to that, they used different kinds of foods which had similar effects. And they'd tell you it was a health food or a fad or whatever. I like the soya bean fad. Um, but, but since they perfected the inoculations, the, the, which are bio-warfare techniques, you see, perfected in laboratories, uh, they can make sure that a guy will start to lose his sperm count uh, in his early 20s now. And now that they've found that the average male at 25 in the Western world uh, has only 25% live sperm compared to, to the 100% of live sperm of the guys who lived in 1950. What's changed since then? The inoculations came in big time, like the polio vaccines in the 1950s. And that's the, the connection. The same with autism. We see the, the, the we hear about autism and how, how one in, in 
Jesus, one in fifty now got autism. It used to be one in many, many thousands, but it's a new type of autism compared to the old. Old autism would always be apparent from birth, where the child wouldn't go through even the early milestones, as they're called, up until we say, Dada and Mama. Today, at two years of age, roughly, when they get a whole set of inoculations, they've, they've come up well in the normal pattern of milestones. And, and after they have the brain fever that comes with it, the doctors tell them it's normal, and not to worry about it, they, they're suddenly autistic, and they don't—they're back to one month old type of thing at a mental age. And this is the damage that's been done to the brain. And now there's the subcategories of pure autism, and you have all the attention deficit disorders, etc., and various other categories of the same thing. Until now, every school has special classes for this because it's the new norm. It's the new norm, you see. didn't happen before, but it's the new norm. And Plato, who got all of his information from the, the ancient Egyptians, he studied in Egypt, was taught all of this, that, that society is, is like clay. Man is clay on the potter's wheel. He's infinitely malleable. He's the most adaptable species on the planet. So no matter what's done to him, he simply adapts to it and doesn't question the whys. Zygmunt Brzezinski, whose speciality was mind control and psychotronic warfare, and you can read between two ages, this man who advised so many presidents, including the present one, it was Department or, or Secretary for War, for, for one or two of them, he tells you the same thing that shortly the public, he said, this is the 1970s, shortly the public will be unable to think for themselves. They'll be so carefully trained that they will leave all reasoning to the media. And if it doesn't, if the media doesn't mention a certain topic, the public won't, won't repeat it or talk about it themselves. They've given over the right to reason and they expect the media to do it for them. That's how simple it is today. He said that they'll be unable to talk normally about anything except what they've been downloaded with on the previous night's news. That's happened. That's happened. Coupled with inoculations, coupled with the UN's agenda to, to literally drop the IQ through, uh, uh, again, inoculations. And read Arthur Kostler on that, K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R, on the ghost in the machine because he worked for the United Nations on this project, they had to dumb generations down to bring through this new system of a, a, a specially ordered society, much smaller society, which is, is to come very shortly to serve the elite. And of course, if, we, if all our faculties were working, we'd fathom all of this out very easily, and there'd be a great mayhem caused. So... It makes perfect sense. What do you do to offset that? You make sure that people have lost a few brain cells in their critical thinking ability centers to pull all of this off. This has happened. This is the bad news. In most people, it's happened. Not in everyone. Not in everyone. But now, of course, they've been stepping up inoculations, and I forget how many dozens of inoculations a child gets before the age of two now. That immune system is being destroyed before it's even developed. And all of these inoculations target the brain. That's why you have a, a fever centered in the brain. And where you have a fever and inflammation, you have death of cells. That's what inflammation does. So what happens with inflammation in the brain? You lose brain cells. Gee, this is rocket science. Everyone's looking for something to come. All the bad things is to come in some foul, sudden swoop. And the reality is, it's been going on for a long time. And most people alive have been through it in their whole lifetime. It's been going on in their lifetime. Now with the spraying, this is what we started with. I'll jump to what Rumsfeld said after 9-11. The next day on the news. At least it was shown in Canada when asked how he would cope 
with a major crisis in another big, big city. He says, oh, we're all prepared for it. He said, to stop panic. He says, we have vast quantities of aerosolized Prozac and Valium to spray over those areas. Well, since these characters are bringing in the whole New World Order that Mr. Bush Sr. talked about two years running uh, on September the 11th, 1990, and then on September the 11th, 1991, a Masonic play you see on the beast because reached Revelations chapter 9 verse 11 that's a Masonic revealing you see that's what they mean by it. The, the, the creature from the pit would be unleashed the creature of war is what it means their system and that's why they gave us 9-11 for the emergency number they're always laughing down their noses at us because we're so stupid we wait for the media to tell us these things which they won't because the media is an essential arm of government. They give, they give us what we think is reality. And if they don't mention the nasty things, well, we won't think of them for ourselves. Or we'll think it's unimportant. It can be important because the media would tell us, wouldn't they? Well, here we have the one-minute bell. And... Uh, as I say, I invite you to come on tonight, 11 p.m., ionthefutureradio.com. That's out of Vancouver. It'll be on at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. And come into my website. It's called cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It's being updated now. I'll have a lot more stuff on it next week. And um, I hope you listen in. We can learn something and maybe change something. May your God go with you, whoever or whatever it is. All the best, Alan.